0: Indeed, how good it is when the people of God dwell together in unity, in love, embracing one another for the sake of Jesus. Before I get into the sermon, I uh, also want to thank you for praying for me last week as I was in San Antonio, uh, the the previous week, and uh, we'll share more about that tonight. Uh, So if you come to the evening service... I'll share more about what the Lord has done uh, at the Simeon Trust Workshop in San Antonio the week before. Do you have debts you are working to pay off? Nod your head, yes or no? Do you have debts you're paying off? Do you like having debts? Whether it's student loans and those of you who are graduating you're probably going to be starting paying loans soon Uh, car loans mortgage loans credit card loans in a capitalistic society like ours it's very easy to get into debt and uh, we've gotten used to living with debt and most people Don't mind living with some level of debt. As long as it's the kind of debt you feel like you can easily pay. But we all long for the time when we will be debt-free. So part of the paying of the debts is so that we will get to a time when we will be debt-free. Well, friends, being debt-free is a goal to aspire to. It is a worthy goal in life. And yet there is one exception. There is a debt that the Bible encourages us to keep having. There's a debt that the Bible wants Christians to have. And added to this debt, there is also an urgency. Now put these two words together. Debt and urgency. They don't seem very appealing concepts, do they? And yet, we're going to see these two concepts in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Where we're going to learn that the mercies of God place a debt and an urgency on our daily living. The mercies of God place a debt and an urgency on our daily living. What are these? What, are, what is this debt and what is this urgency? Well, open God's Word to Romans chapter 13. I'll be reading from verse 8 to verse 14. And just for the record, it may be that I will do something very, 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 very unusual today. And that is just to preach just the first half of the sermon. But I'm going to give you the whole outline, and we will see how this will go. By God's grace, we're going to be encouraged that the mercies of God... Place a debt and an urgency on our daily living. Here's God's word. Romans thirteen, eight through fourteen. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that your word reveals to us how the gospel transforms us and what it produces in us. I pray and ask, Father, that by your Spirit you would help us understand the debt that you place on us in light of your mercies. We pray that Christ would be exalted to the preaching of this word. I pray that you would help me proclaim this word. And I pray that you would he- help us hear it well. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. The mercies of God place a debt and urgency on our daily living as Christians. What are these? Well, the first one, the Christian has a debt of love to others. And the second one, the Christian has an urgency to live in the light. We're going to look at the first one this morning. The Christian has a debt of love to others. Now, the fact that Christians are called to love one another is not a new thing. It's not new in the Old Testament. It's not new in the New Testament. We see it from the early books of the law, uh, from God's law, the Decalogue, that God has commanded His people... Uh, to love one another, and to love their neighbor as themselves. We see that as early as the book of Leviticus. The distinct characteristic of those who bear God's name is love for one another. Now, Paul has already addressed the need of loving others in, in the book of Romans. We've seen it even in In the beginning of chapter 12, in verse 9, uh, the challenge Paul gave in Romans 12, 9 is that our love should be sincere, without masks, Uh, should be genuine. In other words, don't just play the game of showing love on the outside, let it come from within. Let it be sincere, let it be genuine. And now in chapter 13, Paul comes back to the theme of love. He actually never left it from chapter 12. He just continued to show various facets of how that love shows up. It shows up in the familial affections that we are to have towards one another in the body of Christ. It shows up in the honoring way in which we relate to governing authorities who who are placed by God over us. And now, after that, Paul comes back to the the command of love. But here, Paul's argument about love makes a sweeping point, a forceful point, a point perhaps that, that catches us by surprise. Christians are not merely commanded to love. Christians should view the call to love one another as a debt. And when I stumbled over the language of this verse, verse 8, owe oh, no one anything except to love each other. I was struggling in my heart with the fact that this is supposed to be an encouragement. And what in the world is debt? How in the world is the picture of debt an encouragement to love others? Why would that be a, a motivation to love others? Our society thinks of love as merely a feeling. Now, it's true that love includes affections. Uh, Paul brings this up in chapter 12, verse 10, when Paul said, Love one another with brotherly affections. Love includes feelings and affections. We should not somehow think that God's love is not just is not feelings. It is feelings. It is affections. And he calls us to have feelings and affections. Yet love is more than feelings and affections. It's deeper, not less than, but deeper than feelings and affections. Look look down in, in the text we read in verse 10, chapter 13, verse 10. Paul defines love in this way love does no wrong to a neighbor. In other words, love here is actions, actions that do not harm others. Doing wrong to others is the opposite of love. So love includes affections and includes acting rightly towards others. But in our text, Paul wants to explain why loving others is a debt Christians have towards others. Now, when Paul says, "Owe no one anything, this does not mean that the Bible is against Christians borrowing money or having financial debts. If we just extrapolate that out of context, we might be led to that conclusion. But if we read it in the context of what Paul said earlier in verse 7... Paul said that Christians have an obligation to pay our dues and pay what we owe, to pay our debts, and he gave four dimensions of debts that Christians have. Taxes, to whom taxes are due, revenue, to whom revenue is due, respect, to whom respect is due, and honor, to whom honor is due. All of those areas, four examples of debt, are introduced in verse 7 with a verb, To owe, the the verb of debt. So after that, after Paul said, pay your debts to whom you have debts to pay, in verse 8 he says, owe no one anything except love. Is Paul contradicting himself? Between verse 7 and verse 8? No, he's not. But what he is saying is the following. All the debts we have in verse four, in verse 7, whether it's taxes or just revenue to pay or honor or respect, we pay them all with a view of getting to that time when we are going to be debt-free. Whether we enjoy having debt or not, whether we find it useful or not, we long for the day when we will be debt-free. That's why we pay the debt. That's verse 7. But in verse 8, he's saying, there is a debt that you should never get rid of. Owe no one anything except the debt to love one another. Of all other transactions of debts, it is true that we should want to pay them off so that we get rid of them. But verse 8 is saying there is a debt that you should embrace having. And as you pay it off, you should not pay it off with a view of being debt-free of this kind of debt. And that debt is a debt of love. You pay it, you pay it, you pay it, but never with a view of getting rid of it. Owe no one anything except love. This is the debt you want to embrace. This is the debt that as you pay it regularly, you should never look to the day when it's paid off and got rid of. Now why? Why should Christians... View love as a debt that we should embrace having, never waiting for the day that we no longer have to pay it off. Two reasons. The first one comes from the context. The second is in our text. From the context, remember how this section of Romans 12 started. Verse 1 in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And Paul begins in Romans 12, the section of applications of how the gospel that he has been preaching and proclaiming, clarifying in the first 11 chapters of this book, how this gospel begins to be applied. There's going to be commands in the section, a long list of commands. And one of the commands, one of the, one of the applications is this command of love. Why should Christians view love as a debt we should not try to get rid of. It's in light of the mercies of God. Now, friends, when we have received so much mercy from God, when we have been the recipients of so great love from God, we are indebted to show this love to others. It is not a a debt that we should pay back reluctantly but willingly and it is not a love that we should pay back with a view of paying it off and getting rid of. If God loved us that way, if God loved us with a term limit, just paying out a certain amount of it and then feeling like, hey, I've I've paid my dues. What would happen to you and me? God's love is eternal. God's love of paying out this love for us and towards us is never ending. And because of the mercies of God, we are called to have a debt to others that will never end. Embrace it by the mercies of God. You might say, Pastor, you don't know how awful that person is to me. True, I don't know how difficult some people are in your life to love them. I know some people in my life who are difficult to love. I can tell you about those. I don't remember. I don't know the people who are difficult in your life, but here's what I do know. Do you remember how awful you? And I have been before God before we were saved. We were His enemies. We consistently acted against Him. We consistently took away His glory and sought to glorify ourselves instead of Him. We took the spotlight from Him and put it on us consistently. And yet God, while we were still sinners loved us and gave His Son for us. So 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our debt to love others is rooted in the fact that we have experienced the love of God when we did not deserve it either. And we experience the love of God towards us in an eternal way, never-ending way. And therefore, we are called to have this debt of love. Is there someone in your life from whom you are currently withholding your love? Thinking, I've made enough payments on that one. I've made enough payments on that note. I think I'm done. Paul would say, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love for others is a debt Christians have because of the mercies of God shown to us in Jesus. This is the first reason that comes from the context. But the second reason Paul has for this command that comes from our text is because love is a fulfillment of God's law. Love is a debt we have. Because love is a fulfillment of God's law. Twice in our passage, Paul brings up that love is a fulfillment of the law. Do you see it in verse 8 and then in verse 10? Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And between these two verses, between verse 8 and verse 10, Paul gives us some examples of commandments that are a fulfillment of the law. Look at verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now these commands come, if you know the the Ten Commandments, come from the second half of the Ten Commandments. The second half of what God has decreed for His people. Uh, The commandments that regulated how God's people should relate to one another. Paul says that these commandments, when we do them, or the doing of them, is an actual living out of the command to love your neighbor as yourself. So, reversely, when people commit adultery, they don't love one another, even if they do it in the, in the name of, a, of love. When they kill or steal or covet, they are not loving others as themselves. They are using others wrongly, They are exploiting others. They are hurting others. Paul exclaims that actually the heartbeat behind every commandment of God, particularly those that are regulating how we should relate to one another, the heartbeat behind every other commandment that God has given to His people is actually the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you want to see what true love looks like? Turn to God's commandments, to how God commands us to treat each other. God's commandments for how we treat each other are all meant to guard our love for one another. God's commands define what loving one another means. God's commandments restrain us from acting acting destructively towards each other. Sexual immorality is destructive behavior towards others even even if we do it thinking that it's a love that motivates us. That's the opposite of what loving your neighbor as yourself would do. Abusive behavior is destructive towards others. Opportunistic behavior is destructive towards others. Jealous thoughts are destructive towards others because we put our desires above others. So Paul says that when we love others, when we love others, we actually fulfill the commandments that God has given us to treat each other lovingly. So why is love described as a debt that we have? Because Paul says, actually, when you love each other, You actually fulfill the commandment. You actually do. You actually fulfill what God has commanded you to do. Oh, friends, do you see loving others as a debt we have and never seek to get rid of? Pay off this debt without trying to get rid of it. Don't ignore the payment. (laughs) Don't ignore showing it. But you do it and you do it, embracing the reality that Scripture wants you to have this debt. The words of the hymn, A Debtor to Grace Alone, captures this picture that when we understand the grace of God, what He has done in us, we come to embrace the reality that we are debtors for the rest of our lives, owing our life, owing our everything to God and His grace in us. Don't seek to get rid of this debt. Don't seek to have term limits on it. Friends, thinking of loving others as a never-ending debt is not merely a fuzzy feeling. Let God's command define that love of others. Let's go- let God's commands. Define and guard that love for the other. Friends, this is what Christian love is it's a debt. And when we embrace the grace of God, when we realize that this debt was given to us first and foremost in the, the life and sacrifice. Of Jesus Christ. Because he gave his life for us, we are called to give our lives for others. We are called to love others with the same love that he loved us. But the Christian is not only called to have a love for others as a debt, the Christian is also called to have an urgency to live in the light. Verse 11, Paul gives us another reason for living in this way, for living with this debt, with this picture of debt, living with it in an urgent fashion. Paul says in verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Paul is calling us to wake up. Wake up from what? The sleep he's... Calling us to wake from is not physical sleep, though who knows, for some people, Sunday morning service might be a time to be awakened from some sleep. It happened to Paul when he was preaching. When Eutychus has fallen asleep while he was preaching, it can happen to any of us. But that's not the sleep Paul is referring to here there's more to be said about what is asleep what is what is being called out here but let me say just one aspect of what is being what we're called to wake from it's a picture that we can live this life according to the values of this age when we have experienced the power of the age to come. That's a sleep that we are being awakened from, thinking that we can live according to the values of this age when we have tasted and experienced the power of the age to come. Let me tell you why this is so. If we keep reading in verse 11 and 12, we'll find out more about what, he mean, what Paul means about the command to wake up from sleep. Paul says in verse 11 and 12, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. What is the night that Paul is referring to? And what is the day he's referring to? The ending of verse 11 is a big clue to what this imagery of night and day are referring to. It's referring to the ending of this age and the coming of Christ for the second time when the new age of eternity will come. Do you see that in verse 11? For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Now, here's a clarification in the New Testament. The Bible speaks of salvation not only in the past tense, in the sense of being converted, having believed, But it also speaks in the present tense, you are being saved. That's sanctification, being conformed to the image of Jesus. But it's also speaking in the future tense, you will be saved. That happens at the second coming of Christ, when God will consummate all the promises of His salvation. In verse 11, Paul is differentiating between the past experience of salvation, when we have believed, conversion and the future experience of salvation when Christ will come again and the future age of eternity will be consummated. And then after describing that, the salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In other words, the second coming of Christ is nearer to us than we first, when we first got converted. After that, Paul says, the night is far gone, the day is far Is at hand. This shows us that the imagery of night and day here is referring to two ages. The current age is the age of the night. The age to come, the eternal age, is described as the age of the day. Life in this age, living life in this age, is characterized by darkness. That's why when people live according to this age, it produces works of darkness because they are living in the night. But those who have believed on Jesus, those who have trusted in Christ, have experienced the power of the age to come. The power of the age of light. They are now called to live according to the values of the age to come. And the first value that Paul puts before us in this text is the value of loving one another. As a matter of fact, verse 11 is a further reason why we should view the call to love one another as an ongoing debt that we never get rid of. Why? Not only because of the mercies of God not only because it is a fulfillment of the law, but besides it, you know, the time has come. We are nearer to the dawn of day. We are to live according to the values of the age of light, even though we still live in the age of darkness. Oh, friends, the Christian life, is a life lived differently because we have come to experience the power of the age of light. And in this message, I'm just going to stop here because part of what we are called in this text is to awaken us from the sleep of thinking we're just living like everybody else. We're not. Sleepiness, in this passage, is living life as if we are continuing to be in the age of darkness. We're actually called to awaken from the, from the darkness of the night. For some of us, that may mean that we are still, who are still in, in, in our sins and in the bondage of our sin, it may be the, the awakening of salvation. To put on Jesus, as the last verse will tell us, to put on Jesus in a saving way for others of us who are have experienced the salvation of God were called to be loving towards one another, to recognize that the life of the Christian is a life of having a debt that we could never pay off. Pay we must, but never pay off because we're indebted to this love for all eternity. Why? Because this is the value of the age to come. This is the value of the, of, the, of the age of the light. It is amazing that in the letter of 1 John, the, the Apostle John will combine the, call, the living out in the light with loving one another. We live in the light when we love one another friends, I wonder if you are realizing this debt as a Christian that we have. And I wonder how you are living it out in your daily relationships, in your family relationships, in your workplace, with with your fellow brothers and and sisters, Christians in this church community, with your neighbors in your neighboring uh, places. I pray that God would help us live out the mercies of God, recognizing that we have an ongoing debt to pay. And God is calling us to awaken from sleep and to live out the value of the age to come, even while we still live in this dark world. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Would you rekindle in our hearts, would you deepen in our hearts a desire to show love for one another? Because of your mercies, because of the fulfillment of the law, because the time is so near. Father, help us to show that love towards others, whether it is in mercy ministries, coming alongside families in the fostering community, whether it is showing mercy and kindness towards others in need, whether it is loving our brothers and sisters in this church family, whether it is loving our spouses, our children, our family members. Father, forgive us when we act wrongly towards one another, Rekindle in us, eyes to see, that the night is far gone, the day is coming. Help us to live in the present, in this dark age, with the power and the values of the age to come. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.